bought a mic. We bought a red pill. We bought a siblings. We bought the truth. We bought a one-hit wonder. No. We bought the the true true. We bought the big true true. What if I told you? Hello, welcome to We Bought a Mic, an entertainment talk show where every week we talk uh, uh, movies that are okay. You had it so you had it so good (laughs) like an hour ago. What happened? happened? I derailed myself. Mm. Uh, You forgot how to talk because you were trying to do a (laughs) Tom Hanks Cloud Atlas impression. Uh, A pod pod of a. A pod pod sound sound through the wave wave mm-hmm. of the sky eye. <laughs> we we go in your ear hole. Mm-hmm. You listen, sin. <laughs> Let's make this like completely unlistenable. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just make this a well, Only the big pod. true true on, on the pod pod today. You listen me twice, Lee. Ugh. Now kin and bros and half strangers. Yeah, even abysses. All ye come knocking to gape in wonderment like Sonmi herself was sitting in our kitchen. Um, we bought a mic, an entertainment podcast, where every week we give you a healthy dose of fun banter and careful critical analysis. Mm-hmm. Um, earn, earn. I hunt, hunt. <laughs> I'm Drew. <laughs> Drew. <laughs> I'm Drew. <laughs> um, we're talking. So okay. Let's 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 clear out the the table here for the listeners to understand what the hell is going yeah. on. We got to be transparent. This is about your it. fault. First of all, this is your fault. We're in the dead period of movies yeah. where there's nothing out mm-hmm. at all. And luckily, we typically have very ironclad plans for these episodes. <laughs> we have a segment bank to use, and um, there was. A Matrix re-release yes. coming to theaters that I had already had tickets for. I was already planning on seeing, and we've been talking about like you know maybe we should do uh, uh, ni- uh, nineteen ninety nine movies, two thousand nine movies, you know ten twenty year anniversaries, best of the decade stuff. Mm-hmm. What's in the running for the best of the decade list? Yeah. So all of these things were kind of mulling yeah. in the in the conversation, and then we decided, why don't we try out? This new segment called essentially like the Netflix shuffle button in a hat, the Netflix hat, <laughs> where we all put in movies on a piece of paper. Yeah. Good. One good, one bad each. Mm-hmm. We all put them in and then we all drew one out. And it was a disaster. And it didn't go well. <laughs> I had a great pick. We were unclear about the rules. Um yeah, we just drew them. It didn't. We didn't actually make the yeah. rules beforehand. So in future times, we'll just draw one movie and, and then we'll, we'll watch, all watch the one that movie one. exactly. Yeah. So we had to we had to retcon a little bit and pick from the three movies picked which one would make for the best yeah. uh, podcasting content. Yeah, and we incorrectly chose Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Um, Ernest was the one that did put that in the hat yes, originally. Yes. I was told to put in a bad movie. I know, but that's a three-hour... <laughs> like, I put in, like, an 80-minute an bad movie. I, I put in MI5, not Mission Impossible 5, the Kit Harrington uh, yeah. vehicle. And then, yeah, so me and Ernie both drew shitty movies, and then Hunter was going to get to watch The Graduate. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't like that. No. <laughs> horrible. So, horrible. That wasn't going to fly. Yeah. <laughs> 
So, I mean, it did work out this weekend that The Matrix is getting a theatrical Mm re-release for its 20th anniversary. And Dolby. And Dolby. Um, So, I was already planning on going to go see this while it was in theaters, and... It just so happened that you put in a Wachowski film. Well, we were talking. We were talking about Matrix Four last week and the prospect of that and what that could mean for the Wachowskis or, or Lana at least, yeah. and for Keanu, um, and just the the whole idea behind whether a director can be a one hit wonder, which probably happens more often than not. I was going to point to Donnie Darko mm-hmm. for one, Richard Kelly, Richard Kelly. Yeah, and also now it's not looking great for a Nightcrawler. Uh, Dan Gilroy for Dan Gilroy. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's a precedent for this. So you know we we brought up the the Wachowskis' track record of the last few years of uh, Jupiter Ascending, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas. That's their 2010s right there, and their 2000s I think is just the Matrix sequels. Um, well, Speed, Speed Racer. Racer. Speed Racer came out in like 2000. Oh, okay. It was 08. Okay, there yeah. we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, we could have watched Jupiter Ascending. We could have watched Speed Racer. Did not watch those. We instead watched Cloud Atlas, which is an interesting movie to pair with The Matrix. Um, the Matrix is an original story. Cloud Atlas is based on a, a book. But they're both movies that when you pitched, when, when they probably pitched them to a studio, they were like, uh, what the fuck? Yeah. And one movie is regarded as a cultural milestone that changed the course of cinema. And the other one's The Matrix. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the other one is this really divisive uh, film that has its fans. And Where are you? Yeah, Letterboxd will tell you that this movie is like the best Wachowski movie. Is really I most of the people More who I follow Matrix? on Letterboxd, maybe not that much. I mean, yeah, average no, most people that I lower. follow on it, it's high. I know. So I, I thought that there was a chance, but um, I think that somebody told them, "Hey, you guys have too much exposition in the Matrix." So then their response was, "Well, fuck it, we won't explain anything to you then." And instead, we got Cloud Atlas, which is three hours. The- is this a movie? Or is it just a collection of scenes? I don't think it works as a movie at all. <laughs> no way does it work as a movie. But it's one of the most ambitious things I've ever seen in my life. Like the undertaking of telling six interconnected stories in different genres and different time and place settings with the same actors in like borderline offensive makeup. I and wouldn't say it's borderline. It's not borderline. <laughs> it's pretty clear cut that it's, this it's is pretty, bad. It's pretty brutal. Um, yeah, it fundamentally does not work as a movie at all, but I was just, I was just fascinated by this thing, by having these big name actors. I mean, like Tom Hanks is in this fucking movie. Susan Sarandon is in this movie. Hugh Grant. And like part of the fun was guessing like, Hey, is that, is that, is that Hugh Grant? Is that Tom Sturgis? Is that Halle Berry as an old Asian man? That kept sure me is. engaged <laughs> more than anything else. But you could tell that these actors were trying. And you could tell that they put work into the, the, the filmmaking of it, that there was actual effort put behind this movie at every level. But the final product does not work no. at all, which is it's really fascinating to see that for it, me. That, it was. That I, can, I can appreciate the intention and the ambition, 
but this movie completely falls apart under its own ambition. Yeah. Under the um, weight of its stretch. I... I I don't even know where to start. You're here. giving this movie too much credit, to be honest. Well, no. I hated this movie. <laughs> so, the, I mean, the thing is, this is an in, insanely ambitious movie, and I almost want to hold that against. I I don't know who approached whom as as far as making the movie goes. I don't know if the studio were like, okay, we have this really ambitious out there concept. We should go to the people who made because it's easy to forget now. But at the time, The Matrix was an insanely progressive, ambitious idea to put in a movie. Uh, especially from unknown filmmakers. So they were like, well, they hit on that. Um, they might be the best equipped to handle this. And to me, I don't know. A, I, I think it's, you know, from the outset, I don't think it would be very possible to make this into a movie. I think it's like adaptation, you know, how Charlie, the character, realizes that the book he is being paid to write a movie for is simply not a movie. And so right. what does he do? He writes a movie about writing a movie and it's better than that. This story is not a movie at all to me. Um, the reason I want to hold the ambition against the Wachowskis and everyone here is because to me, it comes across as incredibly arrogant. This entire movie comes across as such a, it, you would think that they were coming hot off of like the best movie of all time, but it had been over a decade and they had not made great movies since then. You would think that they were like, you know what? We can do no wrong. Let's make Cloud Atlas. But no, they <laughs> they had already done wrong. And it's arrogant to me because to expect the audience to buy in to everything that's going on everything and not second guess it and not get hung up and not smirk or laugh at the movie is arrogant like best case scenario it's just a misread of what the average audience is capable of tolerating but i truly think that they were like no we'll we'll do it so good that no one's even gonna laugh at tom hanks speaking like a fucking idiot you know like they really thought that this was gonna be the movie that changes everything so i like i i think that you actually you put the nail on the head with the whole arrogance of this movie because I think that's the fundamental problem. I Part of me does kind of feel bad for the actors in this because you know that when they were pitched, they were like, oh, this is my Oscar movie. Hugo Weaving was like, I'll get an... A, I'll get an award for best actor and best actress. Yeah, like, I'm all in. I'll <laughs> sign up right now. And it is just so distracting watching this movie. Also, going... Oh, out of the way from the plot itself is that this movie is so incoherent in the way that it is directed. The way that it's shot is so like overly saturated and there's parts of it it's constantly shot like the third act of a movie. Cuz at one time, at one point we paused the movie and we were 36 minutes in and it felt like we were in the climax. Yeah. And we still had two and a half hours to go. Yeah. That is a bad sign. This movie is a pacing nightmare because you're constantly flashing between six scenes. As soon as you get a chance to actually, like, maybe connect to the characters in the scene, you see them doing Asian face in the next cut. So yeah. you don't know where you are in time and space yeah. and why you should be and, connected to these you characters. Know, and uh, ostensibly, it, it plays into the theme of the movie, this, this theme of... a. Uh, grand interconnectedness between all people across time and space the impact that a single act of rebellion can have on generations to come it's um, like slavery always has existed and it always will exist 
It's, I'm smarter because of this movie. Like, I'm assuming that that is the message of the book, and that's what the movie is trying to say: is that there is a an inherent connection between all beings, and that what we do matters, regardless of whether or not we fail or succeed. Um, which it's is, also a story of, of of souls that find each other in different lifetimes. Like, we have uh, the Tom Hanks character and the Halle Berry character. Uh, fucking spoilers for cloud atlas if you care but they end up together at the end it's like this kind of uh what's intended to be a very sweet reveal uh after he tells the the kid kid the true true by the five fire um and it's like this this button that's intended to be placed on this epic tale of lifetimes and sagas throughout time where these these two souls have been encountering each other in all of these different bodies. But they don't always end up together. Because there's the other plot line where Halle Berry does whiteface. And she ends up with Ben Wishaw yeah. in that one. Yeah. So that's what's so confusing about a lot of the messages. It's oh, yeah. Is that Half just of it, it having doesn't it make sense. Being like a love transcends time thing. Also, there's six time things. I think that you could have just killed three of them right off the bat. Yeah. Like, that's what we were saying while we were watching it. A because past, a future, and a present. That's I, all you need. I made the case that you could cut Ben Wishaw completely out of this movie. And I don't I think that you ben lose Wishaw, anything. Though. Paddington, I'm sorry. <sighs> He's great. I, 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 mean, I, really, I still think the jury's out on Ben Wishaw. I, that's just re- me. Regardless of but, choosing which ones to cut out, the issue is that this movie is way too long and we don't get enough of any single one of the Yeah, exactly. Lines. So if you, <laughs> cut out, if you cut out three of them... So the whole thing, Ben Wishaw's main plot line because each of them have like their one main plot line at least like most of the cast of the eight people who play 40 different characters <laughs> hugh grant by I, the way we didn't mention yeah hugh grant god tier famous native um, american <laughs> <laughs> but i this whole thing with ben wishaw's main line is that he writes the song the cloud atlas sextet yeah that just goes nowhere that plot line is that he writes a song it's a beautiful little piano song and then that's just it it's just the song that represents love through yeah through time and space yeah it's what connects Uh, us all because they remember the song from their past lives i mean i guess like it's just it's not there's another uh plot line with jim broadbent also we should say three different people from paddington are in this movie yeah Weird choice there to have them in there. I love Jim Broadbent. I think that he is a great uh, comedic actor. But uh, his his main storyline is that he has to escape from an old people's homes, mm-hmm. which has nothing to do with love or anything else. It's meant to be the comic relief, but it's just distracting when we see this future neo soul seal world that we're seeing, and then we cut to like him and his old people antics and agent smith in drag yeah <laughs> yes also that's the timeline where we get unhinged tom hanks in like mobster mode that's oh my favorite my. tom hanks tom hanks with a buzz cut Best and a part fucking of the goatee as this like he's like oi <laughs> cockney british dude the worst accent work i've ever seen yeah. in my life his he face is very brown critic. but we don't know what race he sees a critic picks him up and throws him off of a rooftop and then he makes the best-selling book <laughs> I guess, is that supposed to be, like, social commentary on Americans, but it's I, British? To be honest with you, I had no idea what the hell was going no, on in this movie. because this was early the in the movie that this <laughs> happened. Um, I mean, that's another issue with introducing all these storylines, is we were actually introduced to them way more uh, sharp, starkly than we should have been. And ter- like, 
we thought that we weren't paying attention, but we were in the beginning. Like we were, I was trying to get it and it would cut so uh, drastically between all these storylines to establish who they are. And I was like, wait, but that's still Halle Berry, but it's not, but okay, this is the 1800s. This is the 1980s. This is like the distant future. This is the near future. Like it, it is too much to take in without, taking a fucking second like mm-hmm. give me a second to breathe and then and, it becomes a slog eventually yeah because it's a three-hour movie because to open and close six storylines takes it would take more time than three hours to do it effectively um so they kind of had to i'm sure that there is a lot of footage that we didn't see thank god um <laughs> you know i part of me thinks that this movie is a little bit ahead of its time because it came out in 2012 before the streaming thing was even a thing really um if they would have waited to make this and would have made it as a as a streaming show where each uh timeline is its own episode it would have worked if it was so a ten, much if it was better. a 10 episode show the first six are each spending a thing and in you're not episodes, and then like and maybe forth. the last three or four after you know these stories then can kind of interweave more yeah. i think that that's that's perfect like i think that that's how you fix this movie is you make it a 10 episode netflix show well it's six six one episodes. for each thing Z- yeah zero i just <laughs> honestly this could just not exist um <laughs> hey i did want to say um we were talking about the editing. Mm-hmm. This movie actually won a Saturn Award for the best editing for a science fiction, fantasy, or horror movie. I'm telling you, people love this movie. I, it yeah. got good reviews. I mean, reviews. I, uh, I hated the editing of this movie. That's by far the worst thing for me. But I guess they made it a quote-unquote movie because otherwise this is... I think that it's just a collection of scenes that doesn't amount to anything. But, I mean, the... Editors had to be hard at work to do something to kind of interweave these things. It's just another reason why they should have waited to make this movie is because now we can de-age faces and makeup and costumes just look better now. It is so distracting seeing Jim Sturgis with fake eyebrows and everybody with slanted uh, eyes. Yes, that slanted just face. Who... Who just made <laughs> who, the who who approved that? Who, who made the thumbs up? The call that they saw that and they were like, "Yeah, this looks great. Let's move forward with this." <laughs> like somebody dropped the ball on that it, one. I mean, I would assume that the excuse is, "Well, if every race is playing every other race, then it's not racist." Right. And to that point, I would say, let's let's just disregard all the racism, all the problematicness. It is funny. <laughs> yeah. it, it is so so jarring and so distracting, and it is funny. And it is a lot of scenes. I could not tell you what was happening because I could not look, stop looking at Jim Sturgis's slanty eyes. Yeah, I was in awe. I mean, what, if anything, that was the best part of watching the movie is yeah, like trying to figure out who's who. Exactly. Like, We're like is that Hugh Grant under Native yeah, American am tribal I, makeup? Am I? Is the next scene gonna give me? some amazing uh actor that is just completely buried under makeup and delivering awful lines yeah. <laughs> also we got to talk about the the tongue tongue lang language okay so we didn't even uh yeah i was i was just saving on this one so i i have a couple zachary quotes here yeah to pull up. Um, the distant distant future that's just a rope of smoke old uns got us the smart they mastered sick and seeds they make miracles and fly across the sky all right keep it coming go off um, you can see on. why Halle Berry would end up enamored <laughs> by this yeah. man. Yeah, he's, he's such got... a way with words. What's oh, that? lonesome night and Babbitt's bawling. The wind's biting to bone. 
Winds like this full of voices, ancestors howling at you, gibbering stories, all voices tied up into one, one voice different, one voice whispering out there, spying from the dark. We're the fangy devil, old Georgie himself, his self, excuse me. Mm. Now your ear close up, and I'll yarn about the first time we meet I, I. I'll yarn. <laughs> we, we also, let's talk about old Georgie really quick. <laughs> Because it was almost like the twentieth most like insane thing happening, but Hugo weaving in full Babadook outfit. Yeah, (laughs) Tom Hanks is being like haunted by this devil-like character in a big top hat and pointy shoes, and he's like the Lucky Charms mascot from hell. I kept saying it reminded me so much of the Nightman in the musical. (laughs) Whenever he pops up, there because there was always like a hissing noise whenever he'd come in, like. And, like, you know, Mac is trying to make the audience scared, and yeah. instead they're cracking up. Yeah. That was exactly what was happening. But the thing is, we were already laughing anyway. Right. But it's such a, a misstep. And this accent and the way it's written, I'm sure that it's also written that way in the book. But to hear Tom Hanks say it, to speak like that, because... Esteemed actor, two-time Academy, <laughs> Academy Award winner, Tom Hanks. It just, it struck me as maybe the most offensive thing in the whole movie because (laughs) the linguistics of what he's saying um are absolutely like inspired in part by american slave dialect Mm, like very much yeah because they cut back to the 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 story with the slave and it's like very similar yeah i mean just generally if you've ever yeah read like even like you know a compilation of uh of colloquialisms from the 1800s like it's so inspired by that but then also like there's the native american slant to it um and then also he has to incorporate all these very heady futuristic concepts into that language that was meant for the 1800s it so not even just offensive on a level of being problematic offensive on a level of just painful to watch truly it hurt my brain that they thought that I would be okay with watching Tom Hanks say any of that shit. And we had subtitles on. What if you were in the theater? I don't I would imagine that he didn't have subtitles in the theater. Yeah, no, no way. Um no way. even just for that character because like it's supposed to be intelligible, but it's not intelligible. It would literally be nonsense. Yeah. Like I probably this is a movie I might have just walked out on. <laughs> to be perfectly honest with you. You know uh, I feel, if like I said it whenever we had this movie on I would not if we didn't watch this movie together. I would just turned it off. Like I don't know if I was just watching this at home more passively. I would have just been like, "Oh, this is nonsense." I'm going to go put on The Office. Like, I have I have a another point to my theory about this movie being ahead of its time. Um, it's a choose your own adventure movie because you can choose when to pay attention to, <laughs> and you can be totally fine. It was the and that's snatch. The, that's the future yeah. of 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 media and content where you can watch something and you can like have your storyline that you're invested in and, and be, and be uh, engaged in it. And then when something happens that you don't care, then you just look at your phone or you go take a shit or whatever. And you come back and you're fine. Are you happy that this movie exists? That's a good question. Uh, I don't think usually with movies like this that are art house, I'm like, man, they really missed the mark, but I'm glad that they went for it. I don't feel that way about this movie. I don't think it needs to exist, but I am glad that they at least attempted something so damn unique 
and creative. It doesn't work. But it's work. not original. It's based off of a book. Like these stories are coming from. So it's one of those things where I would give. I would almost give it's it. It's original a bit, enough. I would give it more of a credit if this was a wholly original idea that they yeah. had to come up with this, and I'd be like, damn, like. That was a fucking train wreck, but at least like they were going for it. They had this original idea. This is a book. These six storylines are straight up pulled from the book. It was almost like this movie comes across like you're reading a book. Like I, so, I was just reading the it. book. Doesn't it, jump around though. Well, that's a. Why did they make that choice? I don't then? know. Because that works in a book. Like I was reading. I've been reading it. I just finished up it uh, for it chapter two, and. That cuts back and forth between adults and kids. That works in a book. In a book, you can do that because you can kind of flip your mind back and forth. It's also just flipping between two timelines, but Mm -hmm. your mind can read it more in a book. Where in a movie, that doesn't work from a storytelling perspective. From a storytelling perspective, you need to just have, all right, this is this storyline, this is this storyline. The third act, they can intermingle with each other. Right. But that's not what this movie is. No, not at all. I mean, to your point earlier about it feeling like the climax is like, because we've been conditioned to have that um, that effect of that editing practice of having all of these kind of uh, through lines uh, in the story coalesce and build together to climax. And that in this movie, you're we're being because we've been conditioned we keep expecting that to happen but it's like it happens several times throughout the film where you feel that build up and then it just doesn't actually it kind of fizzles and the theme of the movie is stated so overtly uh several times even starting from the first act it's mentioned like there's something connecting all of us Mm -hmm. uh something greater than us it's it's a deep love love transcends time murph yeah very interstellar um it, I don't know. It just on a philosophical level, it seemed it was more bankrupt than I thought it would be because uh, the Wachowskis are very, you know, literate uh, thinkers. Like they, you know, the Matrix is so good because it harkens back to like the allegory of the cave and the Bible yeah. and all these myths that we have, and it's a and it's a modern, even futuristic retelling of that. Uh, this didn't strike me as a futuristic retelling of ev- of anything. It just struck me as a very direct retelling of something with a, a new sheen put on it. And I, I, I guess this is a good way to transition to the Matrix because, like, the with Cloud Atlas, when I was watching it, I was thinking, like, wow, this is one of those movies that you watch and you just have to, like, go online and read about it to understand what you just watched uh, or, to, like, do any sort of research without... Uh, and without that, you don't know what the hell you watch. The Matrix, not 100% like that, but it is a movie that opens itself up to further discussion yeah. and, and, and analysis. Uh, but the biggest difference between these two movies, aside from like the fact that one's one, one story and not six, is that with The Matrix, you are like, clamoring for all of yeah, that there is you're on the edge of your seat you thinking and, like please Lawrence Fishburne explain yeah. all of this to me and past that when you watch it you'd watch it again yeah it's very and get more out of yeah it. exactly like maybe a second viewing makes Cloud Atlas good guess what I'll never know. It's, it's I not, will not watch it will it not again. be a rewatchable right. exactly. movie it's three hours I well I mean to that point the Matrix 
is getting better and better with age. Like we, whenever we saw the Matrix together, like everything that dates that movie, I love. Yeah. Everything with the old screens and just the flying numbers, the ones and zeros that you see. Payphones. The payphones, like it all has this tone to it that I fucking love, and it's so cool. But I and, and now it's even better going back and revisiting it because now you can read more into the allegories. Like, of course, the famous allegory now is that. Um, Matrix is a metaphor for transitioning and you can kind of read that whole thing about like taking the red pill versus the blue pill to just kind of be this mask and not be who you truly are or come out of your shell and be the person who you're meant to be. That is all very much there and it's been there whenever the movie was released. I love the moments with Lawrence Fishburne and him explaining. Like, it does have the Inception thing where the exposition is the best part of the movie. Like, even ahead, the ahead of its time, stunt work and everything else still looks great for the most part. Yeah. There's some corny moments, of course, because it's 20 years old, but that still works. But I just love the thing that's ageless and timeless about that movie is the great script. And what you brought up Inception. Inception I think could use a little less exposition. Like a I, little bit. You think there, so? There's some things that I'm like, okay, Nolan, like I can I'm smart. Like I can figure it out. Mm-hmm. I don't need it all explained to me. But with the Matrix, again, it's just like it's so fascinating the world that they've created and the ideas that they're populating this world with that I am just just ready for more exposition i could i could just listen to lawrence fishburne all day explaining what the matrix is like those are some of the best scenes in the movie and they add um i mean it's all it's all kind of sprinkled throughout the film where it's this pitch perfect script that is it focuses on these themes of choice like neo is consistently presented with choices to make and as he makes these choices, revelations are made. So it's not like the movie starts and you have to immediately be explained what the Matrix is. No, the whole point is that you're going to go on this journey and figure out not only what the Matrix is, but what it represents and what it means and what it means for Neo's journey, yeah. who is a classic, absolutely classic hero's journey. Yeah. Um, and you uncover more about the way this work this world works in a very uh just really perfect way how they kind of divvy out the revelations throughout the movie so that it recontextualizes certain things like for example the very beginning of the movie starts out with this amazing action scene with trinity running from the agents yeah and when you're going in blind you have no idea what the fuck is going on you have no clue that you're in a simulated reality and that these are like essentially computer viruses hunting a digital version of trinity because what you're really thinking is well this action is a little insane for real people but it's cool yeah it's well but there are movies like that but then you find out no this is actually not real yeah (laughs) i did want to talk about one uh great piece of writing um by uh, tasha robinson who wrote this article back in 2014 uh it's the title of the article is we're losing all our strong female characters to trinity syndrome which is one thing that now you look back and Trinity as a character kind of set up uh, for 
better or worse, I would lean more towards worse, of how strong female characters and heavy air quotes are depicted in movies, where it's a strong female character who's there to teach a young, unsuspecting, usually white man to actually be better than them. Yeah. And I mean, this it's an amazing article. It cites, uh, for example, Valka in uh, How to Train Your Dragon 2. Ready Player One. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a great example of it, of yep. somebody who is this, you see them and you're like, oh my God, they're such a badass. And then they're just used to advance the yeah, plot they're used of as the an, white yeah, man. they're an educator. I, I <laughs> highly recommend checking out this article. It's on uh, thedissolve.com, which I don't even know if this is a website that's still putting out stuff but <laughs> Tasha Robin it's a great article great piece we'll link it in the they, show notes they dissolved <laughs> but with Trinity I think first of all Carrie Ann Moss is fantastic Carrie Ann Moss out acts the shit out of Keanu yeah. it really kind of acts puts circles Keanu. around yeah. this guy um, but also I just really like how she performs that role because uh, I think it's all in the performance. I don't know how much of it is in the script, but you can tell that she there's a little bit of skepticism about the whole uh, Morpheus uh, oracle prophecy thing, uh, especially because later on we find out that she is prophesized to fall in love with Neo. But also she is like kind of fascinated by him um, and also just like very steadfast about her own motivations and her own will to survive because it's made abundantly clear that once you disconnect from the matrix you're in full-on survival mode like it's it's fucking tough out there for these last of uh of humanity uh and of course we find out more about this in the sequels but as far as this first movie goes it does a really good job at at pacing out the revelations that happen it does it never feels like too much Mm -hmm. and it never feels like you're not learning enough it's like it's all just perfectly plotted i really feel like the screenplay of this movie is a master class it's it's fucking phenomenal i mean that's it's a very famous screenplay the screenplay of it specifically is very famous yeah the, the, the the flaws that happen are with some of these uh performances like i i think keanu's not that great wow you guys you you owe no, me I so lo- much i think keanu is now a great actor but at this point he was just an action movie guy like well, he wasn't a great actor actor at this stage and they ask him to do a lot there's moments where he is truly great in this movie where he he doesn't speak but his his movement of his body is very effective and he sells it a lot better than somebody else will but some of the line readings and some of like the, the facial expressions are a little bit shaky. But he does such a good job at being this like I I, I don't know, like kind of mysterious uh, I mean, force. He really I think that he gets better as the movie goes along. Like he really at first you see him and he's just kind of like a schlub a little bit. Like he's this hacker bro guy, like He's basically an e-boy, like in 2019, (laughs) is this version of him that you're seeing, kind of a little (laughs) incel boy. But, like, he really does get better as the movie goes along. I think that my favorite moment of this movie is when he finally, like, discovers that he can bend the reality of the Matrix whenever he gets shot. And then people are charging at him, and he's just, like, looking down and fighting them with one hand while his hand's just phasing back and forth. Yes. Which, that's... Like you said, it's great acting without saying anything, but you can see it on his face, like this realization that he's having of bending this world in the way that he wants it to. 
also uh, to a point about the screenplay that you were saying, with how much exposition is in this movie, they don't explain too much about right. like there's still questions like to more. be had. <laughs> yeah, which unfortunately they gave it to us in the sequels. Yeah, it's also. Uh, the action in the script is written very effective. It's written like a comic book. Mm-hmm. Like it's so it's gripping even to just read. Like I I had to I had an assignment where I just had to like pour over that first scene with Trinity and the agents, mm-hmm. and it, you really come to appreciate their style because that is what sold the movie. They were nothing, but it happens in in the direction as well. There's yeah. certain frames because well, they wrote it and directed exactly. it. Like, there's there's certain frames that come across as like a straight up comic book drawing. Like yeah. there's one, I mean, tons of them, but one in particular that sticks in my head is when they pull up to this building and it's raining. And the camera is placed at the top of the building and the rain is water falling down from the building and you can see the car parked on the street. And it's just this really kinetic still frame that conveys so much Mm -hmm. uh, style, you know, nobody else would choose to frame a shot. From the top of a fucking building showing yeah. the rain falling down. It like looks that. it's an insane looking movie. Yeah. And you know, there's been books written about the uh you know, the effects used in the stunt work in the movie. Right. And how it changed the entire game. Uh, because they have to did. innovate all this tech yeah. to get it to look good. I mean, just and think about the up. freeze frames that you have in a fighting sequence that pan around. Yeah. That movie, that thing happens all the time in movies now, in action movies, that you see some kind of a version of it that it's become cliche, but they're the ones that made it cliche to there's, start with this there's innovation. Some, there's some VFX that don't 100% hold oh, up. Yeah, like I mean, some of the definitely. machines. It's 20 years old. I mean, like, yeah. the, the scenes where everything is VFX, there's always something you can kind of But there is some stuff that does still look cool. So, like, for example, um, the spider creature that crawls into the belly button. Amazing. That Mm -hmm. still looks amazing. That's terrifying. I actually, I have a, a fear of my belly button. Like, I don't like anybody touching my belly button or anything like that. I think that it's like a suppressed memory from seeing this movie at a young age and seeing yeah. something crawl into your belly button. Because it still looks great, and it's terrifying. I actually had a, a, an interesting reaction to seeing that that scene in the theater where that scene is burned into my brain, but I had forgotten that it was from The Matrix. <laughs> yes. So I was like, I was thinking, I was seeing the whole, like, interaction play out with the agents in the interrogation room, and they and they pull out the thing and I was thinking like is this from something else like am I remembering wrong did did some other movie copy this and it plays out and I was like oh no yeah this is from the fucking <laughs> you just like <laughs> suppressed it back yeah no but like it, it, that just kind of goes to show that the influence of this movie is so vast it's, yeah it's outside that it's fucking huge it's the probability of that moment being ripped off is so high and same with so many other moments in this movie that have been repurposed in countless ways throughout the last 20 yeah. years where you go back now and see the movie and it's like Every scene is going to have something that yeah. has been borrowed. It's, it's unbelievable. And also, uh, as someone who saw it for the first time like a few years ago later in life, the amount of quotes just used in daily life, not even on purpose, but like now it's a term to be red pilled and it's not a good term. A lot but... of Morpheus, <laughs> a lot of Morpheus stuff. I mean, that whole red pill, blue pill uh, uh, monologue that he gives is so verbose and and just it's not something that it, people don't talk like that. But 
it 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 presents the weight of the themes of the movie and mm-hmm. the idea of the matrix in this really eloquent way yeah. that has that cool factor to it that's been repurposed the, the pill thing you're saying th- that whole monologue oh yeah that yeah, yeah. whole monologue that he gives about yes. like what if i told you your world wasn't real because he kind of he it, he sort of says what the matrix is it, it, without saying like hey you're in a simulated digital reality right now yeah he basically says like you know that feeling you get that sort of depressed, sad feeling that something isn't quite right. Yeah. And obviously, like, that is what the MRAs have repurposed to really uh, yeah. uh, negative and, and horrifying effects. Yeah. Um, but in this movie, in, in, in talking about, like, what the construct of the Matrix is, it's just really effective where, like, you hear this whole monologue that's really compelling, but when he sits in that chair to get disconnected you're almost not sure like what's about to happen next. It's still a little bit of a of a mystery, of a little bit of a um, suspense. Refresh me. He does he eat the red pill like yeah. the first time? Okay, just making and sure. And he almost like does it immediately. Like yeah. he doesn't even hesitate. So that's what is great about this movie because that monologue what you just said that's what gives the movie universal relatability despite being so high concept. Uh like earlier I said the allegory of the cave. Yeah. Um, that allegory, the short version is, uh, it's, it's a story by Plato about a man who spends his whole life chained. So all he can see is the shadows in a cave. Um, and he only believes in the shadows. He doesn't know what the actual things are. And the theory is that if you turned him around and showed him the world, he would not accept the world he would want to go back to the shadows because it's not it's not comfortable to learn that you have been living a lie and i mean that's kind of a little bit of the character arc of uh joe pantoliano who plays cypher who i will say probably one of the weakest moments of this guy (laughs) he literally this bald dude with a goatee who you see him and you're like well he's evil yeah he's a rat (laughs) but I mean, the whole thing is that he chooses to go back and work for Agent Smith because he knows that they're just playing with his mind and everything else, but he wants to be able to eat a steak in the Matrix. He wants to be <laughs> and not just eat like mush in the yeah. real world. And, and, and he know, wants to go back to that. And not know that it's a digital yeah. simulation. He would rather just forget that that ever happened, just go back to the Which simulation. is a really compelling idea, you know. 20 years removed from this movie, now that we have things like virtual reality, um, and just how video games have advanced and all these things like it 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 was a revolutionary idea back then but now 20 years later it takes on a whole new life knowing how we can trick our perception in our minds yeah. in the world today Definitely. with the technology yeah. available I mean today. if you'd rather spend your time on like a second life type of thing online which a lot of people would than yeah. accept the real world It's going to be I I guarantee you that in our lifetimes, with the way the planet is deteriorating, that people are just going to want to not pay attention to any of that and disappear Ready Player in, One. into a world that anything is possible. See, Ready Player One is ahead problems. of its time. That is why I liked the book so much, because it seemed to me to be a lot more plausible than a lot of people think yeah. that that will happen. Um, and like that, uh, obviously, that e- feeds into the relatability of the movie even more. Um, but ultimately, like like you said, like there's now this uh, trans interpretation of the movie. There are so many interpretations of the movie because that's the point. This is an amazing retelling of the monomyth. Um, and at its base level, I would say it's a movie about agency. 
um, not just in a simulated world, but in the actual world. Well, it's also about the duality between choice and free will. Yeah, exactly. Which, it's it's yeah. a movie about realizing, you know, coming out of Plato's cave and realizing that you do have the ability to impact every single second of your life however you want to, uh, as opposed to just kind of like droning through it. Um, it. It almost reminds me of that profile back in the day of Donald Glover, that insane profile. Do you remember that? Yeah. Um, I think it was the New York. Yeah, where he, he may have even used the phrasing that Donald Glover is in the Matrix because he realized that he has the ability to ma manipulate reality if he puts time into getting good at something. Um, and that, to me, is a pretty strong reading uh, upon my second watching of it. There are so many layers in this film that it's it's so rich and it's almost like overwhelming to think about the many readings and interpretations of its themes. But on such a base level, when you're talking about the idea of choice and free will and how that relates to our perception of reality is such an interesting concept to, to try to grapple with and like how Neo is this figurehead for that, for like the fact that like he is this chosen one that will save all humanity and whether or not that's his choice to make to become that or if he's predetermined, destined, that fate has given him this mm -hmm. role to play. That is so fascinating to me. And the sequels actually explore that idea even more, uh, even though the movies aren't great there the idea carries through in a really really interesting and sort of subversive way but yeah i mean obviously we could talk at length about like the action sequences and the framing of the shots and the imagery um but just the core themes here i think are transcendent and yeah. i do want to i do want to shout out some uh, some cool imagery before we wrap up where uh, this movie has like some of the greatest like reflective shots I've seen. Yeah, I noticed. There's that. like one shot of like a bicycle, a motorcycle mirror that is like just so concave or convex, uh, and shots like that I love. I mean, Morpheus's glasses. Morpheus's like, glasses with the two pills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but I just love seeing shots like that because it's like you can't just put up a camera in front of a mirror and have that work. <laughs> like they have to do some crazy ass a shit lot. to yeah. make it work. It is like the best uh, bang for the buck VFX probably ever because yeah. they had a restricted budget. Um, and that kind of plays into why the movie so strongly. Uh, 63 I thought, million. Yeah, which is, for the scope of the movie, not a lot. <laughs> Movies that are that budget don't get made anymore. It's either $200 million yeah. or $5 million. Including the sequels yep. to The Matrix were like yeah. $200 million. Um, But that's a another reason that it played into the idea that this is just truly about agency and making choices and taking a grasp on your own life. Because uh, think about where the Wachowskis were in their lives when they wrote this. They were not anything. They were not anybody yet. They had made one movie that didn't really yeah. make a splash. And so they were sort of uh, manipulating reality to their will because when you're pitching a movie like this, you're going into meetings and you're thinking there is a combination of words we could say in this meeting that will get us $60 million. And there's a combination that won't. All we're selling is an idea. We have not shot or proven a single thing. Mm -hmm. um, and Will Smith famously turned down the role of Neo because to him it was nonsense. To him, the pitch was like, what the fuck? Yeah, Some sort of 
future cyber punk yeah. bullshit. Which again, shit, this, yeah. that's why everybody said yes to Cloud Atlas. <laughs> Because it was the same story, and they're like, well, I'm not going to be like Will Smith was yeah. <laughs> with the Matrix. Man, that's, that's, what, that's what Tom Hanks said in the meeting. Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, we went to Will Smith first. This would be better for a black person to I, do this. I wanted, I want, Before we wrap up, I do want to talk real quick about the Wachowskis, because they're in an interesting place right now. I mean, they made Sense8 for Netflix, which got canceled. But uh, it was it was pretty critically like yeah. critics liked it, and it has its very dedicated. So that's fan why base. I can't. I, it's I can't like call the Wachowskis like a one hit wonder because they do have their fans. Like I don't Speed think Richard Racer. Kelly does. People love Speed Racer. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anybody loves Jupiter Ascending, but I'm sure there's like a couple Someone, of guys somebody, out there. I yeah. mean, and now Matrix Four is coming, and Matrix Four is actually going to be written by the author of the Cloud Atlas novel, uh, David Mitchell. He is working on the screenplay for Matrix 4. So there's some there's some things at play here where the Wachowskis come swinging out of the gate with one of the greatest films of all time. They make two lackluster sequels, then follow it up with three, you know... A mixed bag, let's mi- call it. Yeah, Pretty, pretty mediocre at best films. And now they're returning to the Matrix after like almost two decades since Revolutions. I'm not sure. It'll probably be around there. Uh, what, what do you guys think is going to happen here? Like, is there a chance that history will look at the Wachowskis as a one hit wonder, even though the movies have a tinge of See, success. So that's why, so for example, so I just pulled up Richard Kelly's IMDb. So Richard Kelly, 2001, made Donnie Darko. After that, he made 2005's Domino. Any Domino fans here? No, no? I don't know what that is. Uh, Southland Tales in 2006. Oh, that's the, the Rock movie that is yeah, absolutely the rock is fucking it. bonkers. Um, 2009, The Box, which is a oh. hated movie. Oh. Uh, 2009, S. Darko returned to the franchise in a terrible movie. Hasn't done anything since. Man, the, literally the box. in and out in eight years. Let's watch the box Hollywood. next. Well, That's... I mean, people. There's people that hate Donnie Darko. So it. Greg. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Enemy of the, of the podcast. Pod. He loves the box though. <laughs> <laughs> um. So he I peaked at S. Darko. I don't know, guys. I I I think that the Wachowskis are some of the most. Innovative, they're very creative, and intelligent filmmakers yeah. that we have, but maybe they just got lucky with the Matrix because the Matrix sequels are full of really, really out there, complex, uh, super compelling ideas. But they aren't cohesive movies. But the movies are bad. Yeah. Well, that's and that kind of leads a little bit into the Cloud Atlas of this exactly. all. Like that's maybe the that Cloud is Atlas just, of it all. Yeah, just kind of the point that we're getting at here is that the Matrix they struck gold on their first big break and then never really. Yeah, they, in the Matrix, it's not even a perfect movie. It's quite no. flawed. No, definitely not. Like, but it's so it's like the ultimate rewatchable. Every scene, I had to pee in the theater, and I was like, okay, I'll wait till the next scene when this happens. Oh wait, no, but this yeah. is coming next. And then the movie was over, and I was and like, and you had pissed everywhere. <laughs> I remember. Get PL in my seat. Um, yeah, it's it. It was their most grounded effort. Like the imagination has never been a problem with them. That's not the issue. The issue is grounding themselves in something that is watchable, um, and and marries reality with fantasy. Yeah, because that's what the Matrix did. And uh, another thing is they attempted, again with the whole ahead of its time thing, 
they attempted like the type of cross media storytelling that Marvel is doing right now where they came out with the Animatrix, which was a, a series of short yeah. films, animated short films that tied into the story of the Matrix and the video games too, Path of Neo, Enter the Matrix, mm -hmm. that all filled in these gaps in the lore. And now, again, with, with um, Matrix 4 coming out and with the prospect of this HBO Max streaming service that already has a Denis Villeneuve Dune show greenlit, might we see the Wachowskis have this resurgence of the Matrix across the Matrix cinematic universe? I think that I would honestly, I would 2020s? prefer to see a Matrix TV show than I would to see a Matrix four. I don't. I feel like the door might be. I mean, it, granted, I, I think that it's a well that's dried up, anyways. But if they're going to revisit that, then I'd rather at least see a different medium. I mean, this new Matrix movie is the litmus test. Like, yeah. if if it lands, then they're back like big time they're getting greenlit they're getting a lot of money to do all their insane shit and i think that if they are greenlit because post matrix one they had all the money they wanted to do whatever they wanted and that was the problem yeah you know what i mean so i think that history will just repeat itself even if it's good they're kind of like the ultimate blank check directors yeah, yeah. like they literally made their big thing and then for the next decade plus people are just like we will write you a check for however much money you need get the cast that you want get the effects that you want yeah and it's hasn't worked well, out well and ultimately to to wrap things up to answer your question from way earlier do is, do i want cloud atlas to exist or not i actually do um because you, sometimes the only way to learn what's possible is to learn what's not possible you know what i mean sometimes you have to make a steaming hunk of shit to learn okay Maybe we should tie things up a little neater than that in our ethereal uh, pastiche stories. Yeah. <laughs> and even though even though it is a three hour slog, it is fascinating to see someone just fucking go all the way for yeah. it and fail gloriously. And, and I had fun watching it. I don't know about you. Guys. Yeah, I, if I, I went with you, watching, I would not. Yeah, have. I had fun. I, this is a it's a group rewatchable movie. Yeah, or group yeah. watchable. We're not going to rewatch no, this movie together. It's so long, but uh, it was fun to watch it with yeah. you guys because yeah. we would just laugh at different things exactly. that we were seeing. Yeah, not for the reasons that the Wachowskis wanted. Oh, it's not no watchable way. from that point of no view. No way. Uh, a, a couple quick things before we wrap up. The box office for Jupiter Ascending was 154 million. Um, sorry, yeah, 154 on a around 200 million dollar budget. So. And they still, yeah, got Speed Racer money. 120 million dollar budget, only 93 at the box. Is office. that U.S. or worldwide? This has got to be domestic. It's got to be worldwide. They had to make good money. For still Speed though, Racer. you do want to break even domestically if you're spending that much money. Uh, even if they are profitable. Well, I mean, because also the, the budget that we're looking at doesn't include the marketing and stuff like that. And I remember Speed yeah. Racing. Box Speed Office Racer, Mojo doesn't have the... Uh, it was plugged everywhere. Speed Racer was everywhere. Even oh, Jupiter Ascending. I remember when that came out. Actually, they were they, advertising they do. it everywhere. Speed Racer has a... Um, no, it it is. That is the, the total. Oh, wow. no. Because it was 43 domestic... 50 well, foreign. this lays into wow. my theory about agency because even the the best director who has made the most successful movie, th that would strike them out. Like these uh, girls must be very fucking good in meetings. Yeah, they must be fucking hell of a pitch women. I, but also, they made the Matrix. I know, and that is the whole blame. It's know. not just yeah. about making something that is like big budget. It's about making something that was a critical darling yeah. as well. Yeah, they but would have to fuck up real bad 
to they did that's the th- like even directors who have made like not quite equivalent movies but like to have flops that massive too that would be it for most people i'm telling like i know this from reading stories they are they sell themselves yeah like they will get in the meeting and they will like bully you into accepting their idea uh my final thought is that when the matrix ended the title card came up written and directed by the wachowski brothers and i was like fuck this movie not woke not woke (laughs) they couldn't fix that they couldn't fix it to the Wachowski's. They probably would. Or, I don't know. Or just the Wachowski's. Maybe they wouldn't. Maybe the Wachowski's wouldn't want that because then you'd be erasing their history. Well, we talked about it, and I think that's probably a DGA thing yeah. that you can't go back and change the name. Even if it's the same people, you can't change the director on right. a movie after it's already been released. I, I could have gone in there and premiere <laughs> in like two seconds, fix it. Up. Some George Lucas CG yeah. action. All right. Well, I think that about does it. Make sure you stay tuned for our review of Speed Racer next week. <laughs> no, dear God, no. We can't do this no, again. No, I can only hope. Um, yeah, we have a lot of fun stuff coming. Make sure you listen to our catch-up. I'm, I'm stoked for It Chapter 2. I'm going to try to rewatch Chapter 1 if I get a chance. It's a fun We'll movie. see with this hurricane what happens. If we all get blown to we, smithereens. This, honestly, this episode might not ever be We should We should just say goodbye. <laughs> this is it. Forever. <laughs> goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed Dorian it. Dorian is incoming. Let us know your thoughts on Cloud Atlas. If you are the Cloud Atlas stan that was Tell screaming. us the prob prob with the rope and smoke. Got to give it up. At We Bought a Mic on social media and We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Um, also leave us a review that always helps tell your friends recommend the pod we're always trying to keep you all happy sell us yes yes any any last thoughts or plugs no um i'm I'm glad that we watched cloud atlas so i like to be a part of the cultural conversation i mean i and i have said this to you guys like the joke in rick and morty the jerry's in cloud atlas is so much funnier now because the process in that writer's room was okay we've established he is a movie star what is the funniest possible movie role of all time yeah and they only showed zachary but we're made to assume that he played all of them yeah (laughs) i want to see that jerry coming in like oi (laughs) (laughs) it's yeah because that tom hanks's role in cloud atlas is the funniest part ever also, Ever. just the fact that it's Tom Hanks. Exactly. Like, oh, my God. Tom exactly. Hanks. So is that, like, top five, top three Tom Hanks performances? It's all of them. It's all, all of his yeah. performances are top five. All right. Uh, what, do you, what do you want to plug? I, nothing. Go watch Cloud Atlas. Watch The Matrix. Mm-hmm. No. I, we never determined. Cloud Atlas or The Matrix? Go. Yeah, Which this one's was a better? big square Which off. one's better? <laughs> The Matrix? No. I disagree. No, you're wrong. No. Have you learned nothing from this conversation? We fought a mic. Let's get put in okay. another hour right now. <laughs> you're going to have to turn the mic off. I wonder if people went into this episode thinking like, huh, I wonder I wonder how they'll decide <laughs> how which is this. the well, you, you said verses on the yeah. thing. Like it's a big. No, I didn't put verses. I did. I said showdown. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the same thing. That's, do you know what showdown is? <laughs> All right, let's. Inconclusive results. We don't have a winner yet, folks. We're gonna let you know right when we. We'll do a Twitter. We'll take it to a Twitter poll. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We love you. Bye bye. Bye.